0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
2: Are you thinking about buying your very first investment property or maybe you're heading on to investment property number two? Well, today's episode is definitely for you because we are talking all things to avoid, mistakes to avoid when you are buying an investment property and we're going to list off our top six, aren't we, John?
3: We are indeed. We love making mistakes because we learn, but we don't want to make costly ones.
2: Indeed. We will go through our top six mistakes to avoid when buying an investment property. Let's get into it.
3: Right, so we're going to go toe for toe on this one, aren't we? We, I'm going to give one, then you. So, or let's uh, ladies first, you start.
2: (laughs) So, I think the first cab off the rank, and certainly the one that I think comes up the most often, is the mistake of thinking that you should only buy where you know or where you can access, or even as near as your own suburb. And this is such a limiting belief when it comes to property investment. I actually, I had someone call me up literally just yesterday, and they said, oh, look, I've identified, um, there's three suburbs in Melbourne that I, that I want to buy in, and he, he reeled them off, and I said, oh, so do you intend on living in the property? And he said, no, wh- why do you ask that? And I said, because it sounds like you've identified these areas based off you know, what you what you know, where you can access and, and drive past those properties. And he said, how did you know that? I said, because I can just tell like that from my high level view, I don't know they're the greatest investment out of all the property markets you could be investing in. I'm not sure they're the right ones. You know, would you be open to thinking about an Australia wide approach? And all of a sudden he was like, yeah, okay, I, I get it now. Like I don't need to drive past it. But I mean, you would hear it all the time, John, people, you know, go, I want to buy an investment property, but I want it in suburb X, Y, or Z. And it's sort of like, on what basis? Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I think uh, it's comfortable, isn't it? Uh, We drive past it. We know it. We grew up there. uh, We know a lot of people and and what what the suburb stands for, um, but- and and they've got an argument to say, well, in the last couple of years, it probably hasn't let them down. There's probably mm-hmm. been some good growth in that local area, but there's been hundreds of other suburbs that could say the same story. So I think we're always thinking, um, well, if, if we've got all of our eggs in one basket, if you want to call it that, in the one suburb or the one region and there's a flat period, Dare I say it, Emily, because uh, a lot of investors haven't seen a flat period, but Mm -hmm. there will be flat periods in all markets around the country. If there is a flat period of four, five, six years or longer uh, and you've got all your eggs in that one area that is flat, then that means your whole portfolio is flat so that's usually the basis for that isn't
2: it yeah definitely and i and i also think it's obviously a mindset piece around you know getting detached from the area and thinking well it's not about what i know it's about what is actually going to perform the best for me and good things do happen outside of your comfort zone. You know, it might feel a bit uncomfortable to buy in an area that you've never even heard of or you might not even physically inspect the property. But I always relate it back to when people um, are investing in shares or they're going directly to a a company because they know they've heard of it before or they've seen it or they love it, you know, Coca-Cola or Cotton On or whatever it might be. Have you physically walked through the office of that business you know do you know the ins and outs of the runnings of it you know I think when it comes to shares is this mindset of well I can't physically go past it or I can't physically see it and I also think when you adapt that same mindset into property investing and you become removed from it you actually end up being someone who gets really good results.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it's non emotional, isn't it? So you're, you're right. You, you, you don't sit at the board of, of that company before you buy the, buy the shares. You, yeah. you, do, you don't probably look at the financial statements, the P&Ls or anything else. And so uh, there is that uh, detachment from it, isn't there? So yeah, no, that's a very Definitely. good one to kick things off.
2: Yes. And number two, what have you got for us, John?
3: I'm going to go with the lack of cash or buffers in our life before we buy property. And Mm. we may have gotten away with this in the last few years because uh, wages were okay, interest rates were really low, yields were pretty good, um, and we're able to maybe save more money than we might have ordinarily because we were maybe stuck at home, weren't allowed to fly, travel, etc. So I think Before COVID, before any of these dramas hit our life, we should have always had a buffer in our life, a a cash flow management plan that said, right, I've got emergency funds for if my car blows up or I've got a medical emergency I need to spend $3,000 $3,000 on, right? I've got it there. Uh, I can sleep at night, etc. We should also apply the same to our property portfolio slash business. It, we're opera- operating it as a business. So we need to have a buffer amount that's equivalent to the performance of our portfolio. Now, when I say that, it's, well, if I've got one property now, what's it yielding at? What's my before tax and after tax amount? So I'll give you an example, Emily. If we had an investment property now that was costing us, say, $500 a month to hold that property, that's $6,000 a year, do we need a $6,000 buffer At the start of year one? No, we don't. But we'd ideally want a good two, three, four months worth of those funds up our sleeve uh, should something occur in our portfolio that was out of our control. The hot water system blew up, we didn't expect it. The interest rate rose, we we didn't expect it. Uh, We we had a a two week longer vacancy than we forecasted for, we didn't expect that. So, where are those funds going to come from? Because in most cases, people sell property because of the lack of cash flow in their life, uh, not because they just feel as though they want to cash in on, on that uh, performance of that property. So definitely uh, lack of buffers or cash flow in people's life does ruin the investment performance over the long term.
2: Definitely, and I think it 's concerning um, both for investors as well as first home buyers when they you know get nervous about seeing all this money leave their account, you know their deposit their stamp duty, and all the rest of it, and they're kind of down to the wire and they 're saying you know oh, well, this is like you know every cent i 've got that 's mm. really concerning to hear if that 's the case because whilst you know over time there might be more things that pop up with the property maintenance wise that that you need assistance with." Um, there can be that period of vacancy and that's on you to you know make the mortgage repayments. So yeah, definitely a wise words, John, to be making sure that you've got appropriate buffers in place, which will, there's no blanket rule. I mean, it will be respective to the age of the property, the repayments, how it's geared uh, and that sort of thing. Um, but yes, buffers are key.
3: And I think just to, to round that one off, mm. uh, I, I see a lot of investors... Have or, or get rid of their low hanging fruit, so they see this property that's costing them money uh, out of their own pocket each month because mm-hmm. they haven't factored in the required buffers for that particular property. Um, so their lifestyle continues on; they'll still go out for dinner and and jump in an aeroplane and fly around the country. But uh, if the property is costing the money, sometimes we perceive that is, oh, it's doing nothing for me. I'm going to sell it because it's, it's, it's ruining my lifestyle.
2: Yeah, definitely. And you don't want to sell it out of a have to sell. We mm. never want that to be the case.
3: Correct. Yeah. All right. Number three.
2: Number three is around not being emotionally invested. Now, this is slightly different to the only buying when you know piece. This is actually once you're at the property level, Nothing annoys me more than hearing an investor make commentary about a property as if they're going to live in it. <sighs> I have a gripe with that because it really, it's frustrating because they're not looking at it at a macro level. They're not looking at it as an investment. They're starting to get emotionally invested in the property itself. Oh, you know, I don't like that paint colour or, or the floor plan, you know, wouldn't be ideal if we, you know, had kids in this house. And unless you intend to live in the property itself, you should not be emotionally invested. And I actually think, and I do speak from personal experience here, the best purchases are made where you may not ever physically inspect the property. And I'm not saying don't inspect the property. I'm definitely not giving that as advice by any means. But in terms of the emotional piece, I've bought investment properties that I've inspected and that I've been involved in myself. And I've bought properties where I've had someone else help me to buy them. And I must say... The logic, or my my mindset and the logic behind the purchase, when I haven't inspected it. Really has been number crunching, and that's it. That's what matters. It's the numbers.
3: Yeah, it's a numbers game. It's a really good one. And and ninety percent or more of your due diligence is done behind a, a screen, isn't it? When you're researching markets and uh, and historical growth and future performance, analysing the population and uh, the economies and how they how they're working. So that that's a really important one. And soon as people remove that from that emotional piece of well, yeah, my mind needs to change. To I'm not living in it, so I'm now actually a borderless investor. Um, so many opportunities to um, come up, don't they? When uh, when that's the case, so yeah, that's uh, that's spot on. And I, I had a, a situation yesterday, actually talking to a person who we're looking to buy property for, and they said, "Oh, we want to stay within X amount of uh, kilometers or hours from where we live because I'm a builder and I can improve." Um, the makeup of it, and the, the cost of doing that will be reduced because I can do it myself. Right? We need to put a price on our own labour,
0: mm. and
3: when we're doing that, we're taking ourselves away from. Uh, maybe our own business or our own employment, and what cost do we factor in um, as opposed to getting someone to do it stress-free, hassle-free? There's a cost, yes, but it's a, it's a cost of doing business to to run that property business in your life. So that's sort of an extension of what you're talking about. There is is keep the emotion out of it, regardless of what occupation you have. Um, yeah, you've just uh, it gives you a long term better result.
2: Yeah, 100%. We are going to take a quick halfway break. We've been through three, we've got three more coming right up for you. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Now, John, what gold have you got for us with number four? What number four mistake should we be avoiding?
3: Well, I think it's not having a long-term plan, Emily. So Mm. say to a lot of people, and I've been guilty of this uh, in the past, of uh, – not thinking about the next purchase before we purchase this one, right? Now, when I say next purchase, you might not be planning on buying a second property, but are we planning on buying our principal place of residence at some stage? Are we planning on putting more funds into super? Are we planning on uh, increasing our cash uh, buffers aside in our life? Are we planning on acquiring shares? Are we uh, planning on having a a major holiday or or something? Um, That we just need to be thinking more long-term than just, right, I'm going to buy an investment property this month and not think about the next three, five, even 10 years. I think it's a really uh, critical part to write down, well, what do I want in 10 years? What do I want this property to do for me from a wealth creation point of view, but what else is going on in my life in that uh, longer term period?
2: Yeah, definitely, because it's an overarching plan, isn't it? Like it's not just about the property itself. How does it play into the rest of it? What do you need it to do? What's your cash flow management with it? It's, you know, becomes it becomes part of your life and the extension of, you know, yourself in terms of it's like running a business, owning properties and having a property portfolio. So you actually need to know and understand where they fit. And I also think people don't necessarily ponder the um, idea of having multiple properties and what that means. In your time, that's multiple property managers if they're in different states. That's multiple um, maintenance things that can go wrong at different times. You can feel like you're putting out fires at times because you fix one thing and then something else might pop up with another. So the long-term planning of that should also align with your desire to how much involvement you want um, because more properties, whilst great, don't get me wrong, (laughs) also can equal more problems, which also equals more time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And a a really good example of that and and making sure we do think long-term is to say, well, okay, I can spend a million dollars. Do I buy two 500s in the next three years or two years or 12 months or do I buy one 800K property, right? And that's so... Uh, so common in my world, people coming to me saying, well, what should I buy? Where should I buy? How much should I spend? I want to build a a plan, but I don't really know past this property. Um, So that's where that long-term wealth plan can give you a little bit more clarity because you can then reverse engineer it and say, well, this one's actually going to be a a 4% yield at 480,000 or 500 as a cap and away I go. Yeah, definitely.
2: So moving on to number five, I'd noted down here a mistake as not understanding the objectives of the purchaser self, like in terms of the actual isolated property, but an extension of that sort of mistake or thought that I was having is actually around buying the investment uh, for the wrong reasons. And when I say wrong reasons, I'm talking about people who will take advantage of the first home buyer um, stamp duty concessions or in some cases grants to get into the market and they only ever intend on living in that property for 12 months so that they can meet the criteria to get those grants and save themselves money and then flip it to an investment. Now, the reason this is a mistake to avoid goes back to point number one about location. Is the benefit of having, you know, in Victoria it's under 600000 you have no stamp duty. Um, if' you're, if it 's your own home, is the saving of that actually beneficial to be in that spot because if that property doesn 't grow the way that you had planned or there 's another property you could have bought that would well and truly outperform and in fact cover the cost of what you would pay in stamp duty, then I think you 're making a mistake I think you really it seems to be this notion of we need to save we need to save but if saving actually compromises the long-term performance of a property, then you haven't really saved. You've actually costed yourself money by, ma- by making that um, choice. And I think it's a – I don't know if you hear it commonly, but I must say a lot of people come to me wanting to buy a property to live in for 12 months and they flip it to an investment. And the only reason is because of the stamp duty savings and concessions. Um, it's actually not about how well the property is going to perform.
3: Yeah, so there's that short-sightedness and looking at – one particular aspect of of maybe the strategy, as opposed to looking across the whole strategy, is that more mm. to what you what you're getting at there.
2: Yeah, correct. And it's it's I think just chasing these incentives, which are very well publicised and very well mm. um, you know known about, and the government's done a good job of, of making them known. But I just think one other piece of the puzzle that people don't realise when I usually have these conversations is the stamp duty concessions are applicable to your first home so if your first purchase is an investment property and you never live in it and you have no intention in living in it at all you are still eligible for the first home buyer concessions when you go to buy your first home and a lot of people don't know that like even like I myself I own a couple of properties if I wanted to I can still go ahead and buy my first home and have access to those concessions so it's all it's not about your first property. It's about your first home. And there is a very big difference as to where those things come in. Um, And sometimes that can really shift people's thinking when they go to make an investment purchase for the first time and, you know, rent vest or whatever they might be doing um, to then realise you can actually still benefit from those grants later down the track.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. And, And I think the... The cloud that comes over someone's head when they think, do I buy first homeowner to save some money or do I buy an investment? And I think where the people get stuck there is uh, you mentioned the ceilings, like the 600Ks is, is the mm. max to qualify for that. Uh, they, they try to find something within that budget. And in a lot of cases, it's impossible. So they might be actually buying something inferior, right? Um, to to just to save 20 grand on stamp duty so whilst it's a great saving up front uh, as you've mentioned that performance long term when you look back in 10 years like oh hang on a minute I probably that 20 grand was actually insignificant when I look at the performance of what I maybe would have bought if I didn't have that cloud hanging over my head of of concessions.
2: Yeah, definitely. Also, if you did go for the concessions, there can be an element of compromise. You might buy a property that's you know 60Ks out from where you um, want to be and where your lifestyle works. And you've got to suck it up for 12 months to live in that property if you want to get the subsidies um, and arguably spend more money in petrol, lose quality of life, all those sorts of things. So um, to summarise point number five, it's understanding the objectives of the purchase, but also don't just chase concessions because they sound good and they save you money. They actually might cost you in the long run.
3: Yeah, if the stars align, fantastic. Yeah. We've we've seen that happen in the last couple of years where the stars did align. They're prepared to move for twelve months to live in it, take some take some uh, money on the way through or some savings, and the the properties perform for them, and then they move back to live with mum and dad like that. That actually works. But yeah, yeah, it's a great point to really look at the overall uh, strategy that, that one's got as opposed to just uh, the short-term um, vision.
2: Indeed. Now, we've come to point number six, the final one. What oh, gold have you got final. left? I
3: don't know if it's my best one, but it, no, okay. it's the sixth <laughs> anyway. <laughs> 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 no, nah, look, it is. It's a really important one. It's actually having a, some sort of sounding board in your life when you're going to buy an investment property. And and that's not a sales pitch for Emily or John by any means. It's just simply someone in your life that you can bounce something off just to say, look, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Uh, this is where I'm looking. This is how much I'm spending. Can you see anything that sticks out to you as to why I wouldn't do or, or why I wouldn't execute this or, or give me a feedback on what you think that's like? Now, you've got to be really careful as to who that person might be. And it and it's got to be someone that's like a mentor I suppose someone that's going to look objectively at it without emotion so it's probably not a family member uh, unless they can look at it subjectively uh, it's probably someone that's done more investing than you have personally that you can go to and say look is this a good or bad option for me um, just just sounding it out before I pull the trigger on it and and just someone out of your eco center that uh, is, uh, again, coming in without an emotion.
2: Definitely. I think independence is probably the, the key thing there. Someone who's independent and and not, you know, not involved in your day-to-day necessarily. Um, because the other thing is, and I don't know if people really realise this, when you go through the journey of property investing and wealth creation and really elevating yourself into making a great life for yourself, there can come some... I don't know if jealousy is the right term, but there can be some apprehension from those around you in your inner circle because you're, you know, you're going up, you're creating wealth for yourself, you're investing in yourself and your future. Um, and so, to your point, John, about not necessarily being a family member who this is a sounding board to, sometimes uh, as much as family and friends do want to help us, they also want to protect us. And they sometimes when they want to protect us they stop us from doing things that they're not comfortable with or that they feel we're not comfortable with so uh, definitely having someone who's independent like a mentor or um, someone who has done a fair bit of investing themselves an advocate in some way shape or form would also be helpful um, to be that sounding board for you so something to consider there
3: yeah, something um, that just popped into my mind then was uh, I. I was a phys ed teacher for three years or four years, yes. and um, my mother could not believe that I left teaching after four years when I'd studied for four years and I only lasted four years in the industry. It's so like uh, you're some sort of failure or something. Why are you? Why are you leaving teaching? Like this is a disaster. Like it was just uh, yeah. So that's a good example of that protection coming in and mm. and really having. Uh, yeah, having them really external to your life, and and I think it's good to have someone like that in general in your life. Yeah. Without when whether you're investing or not, just uh, to to speak to someone who you can who you can trust, who, as I said, has been down the road further than you have it at, at your stage in your life, and and can really tell it how it is with experience. I think they're just so invaluable, and and Generally, people want to help other people, right? Mm. When you when you ask something, someone for something or f- for some advice, um, most people are pretty happy to to hand it over, aren't they?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's crucial to have yeah someone who is that sounding board outside of property investment, just with life and decisions and you know mm. things that can really impact you, um, yep. good, bad, or indifferent.
3: Yeah, good. So uh, I suppose rounding all these six out. Like, and I said flippantly at the start of the show that uh, you, it's good to make mistakes because you learn. And and absolutely we do. We, we learn more from a, a loss than we do from a win in a, in a sporting analogy. However, when we're making mistakes, when the stakes are a lot higher, the impact is massive, isn't it? So we're, we're not going and buying a, uh, a I don't know, a $1,000... Um, iPhone, where if it breaks tomorrow, it's not the end of the world. We're we're spending three, four, five hundred, even more thousand dollars that we're hopefully going to hold for the next 8, 10, 15, 20 years. So we, we really want to make sure that we're avoiding most mistakes that investors out there will, uh, will generally make because they just haven't had a, a thorough plan. They haven't followed uh, common sense when it comes to investing and they've implored too much emotion into the picture.
2: Yeah. So if you are going out there buying your first or next investment property, hopefully this episode has been helpful to you. For long-time listeners, and John, this always baffles me so much because there's a lot of listeners who book in discovery calls or they'll Instagram message, you know, can you help me with an investment property? So if you're a long-time listener and you didn't know this or you're a first-time listener and you want to get the lay of the land, John and I sometimes get too carried away talking about the topic for the day that we, we never really explain what we actually do, which I think is actually somewhat important. So if you're, if you're thinking investment, think John. If you think home buying, think Emily. That's kind of the easiest way to explain it. But relevant to this episode and particularly on the note of a sounding board – John is probably one of the greatest sounding boards. Um, he won't be bold enough to, to tell you that. I'm sure he won't toot his own horn, but I'm going to tell tell him for you. Um, so in terms of having a sounding board or an option for a sounding board, John does do clarity calls, which I'm sure if you've um, listened to My Millennial Money, you've heard of that before. But one piece of the puzzle that not everybody knows about is... Um, John's Solvay Online Academy. Now, I have personally enrolled in this before, and it's very much geared towards the investment journey. And if you're thinking that maybe look, you know, I'd love to have some help as a, with a buyer's advocate, but I can't quite afford it or it's a bit out of reach. This is like, I would say happy medium between definitely don't go with no advice and definitely, you know, if you can't afford a full service um buyer's agent or buyer's advocate that's out of reach. This is really in the middle. I've done, um, well, pretty much all of your course, John. I think I've skimmed through a couple and, and well intricately listened to quite a few, but um, it's very digestible content and would be an awesome starting point. There'll be a link in the show notes below. Um, if you do value what we see on the podcast, then I'm sure there's value external to the podcast as well that you would benefit from. So go and check it out. Mm.
3: Thank you for your kind words, Emily.
2: No worries. Well, I know that you won't say that about yourself, so someone's got to be advocating for you.
3: (laughs) Look, and I suppose um, the whole, it wasn't mentioned in the mistakes, but it's a given that we want to self-educate, isn't it? Totally. We we just, um, and we get, education and experience by doing. We don't want to be the smartest person in the library, but we've, uh, there's a good balance of coming into investing with a, with a sound base of knowledge and a, and a good team of people around us.
2: Hundred percent. So if this has been your first episode that you've listened to and you've clicked on it because the title sounded good, I hope that it, that it lived up to expectation. If you have any feedback or even in the form of a review, please don't be shy. Uh, we love to hear what you think. Let us know through whatever channel you listen to. Uh, we will be back here next week with some more content, but if you have any specific questions, just put them in the My Millennial Money Facebook group and we will be sure to answer them for you.
3: Absolutely. All right. As always, it's been a pleasure.
2: Indeed. We'll be back next week.
3: Okay. Bye.
1: We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast.
3: Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education.
2: That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps.
3: I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space.
2: And I've created The Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers.
3: Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today.